All right, turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter number 4, if you would. Esther chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 this evening, but um, just as a way of review, last Sunday um, we looked in our series at the, the revenge of Haman. Um, we, we, we saw his uh, revenge against Mordecai. Mordecai, of course, refused to, uh, to bow down to Haman out of a sense of conviction and obedience to God. He knew the lineage of Haman. He knew that there was uh, some contention between the Jewish people and the Amalekites. And Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman, this man who wanted to exterminate the Jews. He, he made this stand, and Haman was upset, and so he enacts this plan to extinguish the Jewish people. And it would be in 11 months' time from him casting those lots. Uh, we also looked at the abdication of power by Ahasuerus. Even though he was king, we saw he was not really in charge. He didn't want to be responsible for their extermination. So he gives up his ring of power to Haman, and Haman takes with it and does what he will. Uh, according to Ahasuerus, he, he lets him on the loose. And we saw that when we're left to our own heart's desires, we're left to do things we never imagined we would do. Our hearts are wicked, are desperately wicked, the Bible says, or evil. And so we shouldn't trust on, in our hearts and lean on our hearts. We should trust in the Lord and lean on Him and His understanding. We also noticed how Shushan, the city, was perplexed when they heard about this decree to wipe out the Jewish people. They knew that this was not common for Ahasuerus. He was not one to commit gen genocide against people in his own kingdom. And so they were confused about how he could let this happen. And we saw that it was because of Ahasuerus' poor leadership and the evil heart of Haman that this confusion was brought about. We then noticed the satanic attack in this account. On the surface, it appears as if Haman is the one in charge and is the true enemy, but we saw that truly it is Satan who is the enemy in this story, the one seeking to wipe out the Jewish people. All throughout the Bible, Satan attacks God's people, and he attacks God's people today. He attacks us today. He wants us to quit on God. He wants us to lose our faith on God, to turn our backs on God. And so he'll do all that he can to tempt us to sin and live for this world. And so Satan was the true enemy in this account. And then finally, though, we notice that God is truly in control. At the beginning, we saw how Haman cast these lots, and he was looking for the lucky day to wipe out the Jewish people, and he thought that his gods had answered his prayer. But we saw in Proverbs that truly it is God who determines the outcome of the lot. And God used this date that was set uh, for Israel's deliverance instead of their defeat. And so we saw that we can trust God in our life when we're faced with our enemies. God is in control and we can look to Him for strength and for help. And so that was last week. This evening we're going to continue. And I want us to consider this, that it's okay to be real in our life. It's okay to be who we are. It's okay to be genuine. We live in a very fake society today. You think about social media. You think about... Instagram and Facebook and now TikTok and all these platforms that 
we're on and we want to put a show on. We want to put our best forward. We don't want to let people see the ugly side of our life. We want people to see the best side of our life. And so we put on a show and we, um, we fake it till we make it. We pretend that everything's okay, but really we're going through a hard time and we're struggling in our life. And I want us to see tonight that it's okay to be real with God. We don't we can't put on a show with God. We might be able to pretend with men and with our, our neighbor. We might be able to put on a show that everything's all right, but we cannot do that with God. He sees our heart. He sees our circumstance. He sees the trials we go through. He knows what's in our mind and what's on our heart. And so we can't put on a show with God. And so we need to see it's okay to be real. In this part of the story, we're going to see the humanity of both Mordecai and Esther. We're going to see some very real emotions from Mordecai in this passage. Uh, as he faces the consequences for standing up for what he thinks is right, we're going to see his emotions in this. We're also going to see some ignorance and faint-heartedness on the part of Esther. We're going to see that she uh, has been out of touch up to this point in the account. And God still uses her, though. Even though she's afraid, even though she becomes fearful at uh, what she's expected to do, God still uses her. And in our own life, we find that there are times when we're living for God, we find ourselves afraid. We find ourselves um, a wreck, uh, emotional. We don't know what to do or how to handle a situation in our life. It's okay when we understand that God is patient, God is gracious, and He still wants to use us. And we don't have to quit. We don't have to throw in the towel. Um, we can look to our perfect God when we see that we're imperfect and we're flawed. Our God is not, and we can trust Him. And so tonight I want us to be reminded that it's okay to be ourselves. It's okay uh, that we're not perfect. Um, that's not an excuse to live in sin, of course, but we understand that we're not perfect. And that ought to cause us to give God all the praise. Uh, we're not perfect, yet He chooses to still use us to serve Him and accomplish His will in our life. And so, uh, I want to see tonight, it's okay to be real. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Dear God, I thank You for this uh, evening that You've given us as a church to look at Your Word. And I thank You for the opportunity to preach um, out of the uh, life of Esther and Mordecai. And God, I just ask that You would help me tonight as I preach Your Word, uh, Lord, to have the words to say. And uh, Lord, I know I don't deserve to be up here preaching, but you've given me this opportunity. And Lord, I know that I'm not perfect, and yet you've cho chosen to use me. And I pray that you'd help us all this evening to understand, Lord, we have the opportunity to live for you, the one who's created us, the one who loves us, the one who sent his son to die for us on the cross. You want to use us, um, even though we're not perfect. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be reminded of that fact today. Help us to understand we don't have to put on a show, Lord, we can be real in our life. And so I ask that you would help me Again, to have the words to say this evening, and I ask that you would speak to hearts as only you can. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that I want us to see, let me turn this on, is um, if this PowerPoint slide will work here. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm going to have to have you do that, Amanda. Uh, we're going to see first Mordecai's reaction. Mordecai's reaction in this passage. Let's look at verses 1 through 3, Esther chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. 
and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Mordecai finds out about this decree that Haman had passed, he has a very emotional reaction to it, and understandably so when we think about the circumstances. The Bible tells us here that he rents his clothes, he, he tears them, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. Uh, think about if you took a potato sack and you're wearing that for your clothes, and you, you rip your clothes that you had. And so this was a very common practice in this time, and it was a very outward display uh, to show to others that you were in mourning, that you were in despondency, that you were going through a difficult time. And so Mordecai's reaction here is to, again, to tear, to tear his garments, to put on this sackcloth and ashes. Now, if you went to a mall in America today, it's pretty common um, and quite the fad to have torn clothes and ripped jeans. And I'm sure in 20 years from now, people are going to look back and say, what in the world was I thinking? Uh, wearing tattered clothes. But that's not what's going on here. It wasn't a fashion statement. It wasn't a fad. He was going through a hard time in his life. He was going through uh, something scary. He was going through something difficult. His own people were soon going to be wiped out and destroyed from the nation of Persia. So he is in sackcloth and ashes. And we read here how he cries aloud. He's uh, making his way through the streets. Um, he, he's uh, weeping and wailing and fasting for his people for the impending doom that is coming to them. It's a hard behavior for us to understand. We look at this and say, what in the world is he doing that for? Why is he going through that? Um, especially if living in the country that le we live in, we have rights. We can vote for things that happen. But you think about it in this time and in in a dictatorship, in an empire like this, they had no voting power. They had no rights like we do. They had no um, due process. It's not like he could go out in the street and protest with all of his buddies with signs and loot the city and tear, put things on fire. He would be killed for that uh, without trial, without a chance. And so he had no opportunity um, to do that. And so in this desperate situation, Mordecai uh, puts on the sackcloth and ashes and he, he cries aloud to God. He weeps for his people. He uh, is in despair. And it says he's going throughout the city, but he also does this in front of the king's gate. Uh, and because he's wearing these clothes, the sackcloth, he's not allowed to go into the king's gate. We saw before he was perhaps working in the king's gate, but now that he's in this state and he's wearing these clothes, he's not allowed into the king's presence. He's not allowed into the king's gate. Something that's interesting to note in the book of Nehemiah, I believe it's chapter 1 or 2, um, Nehemiah is in the presence of Artaxerxes, and he's sad. His countenance is sad, and Artaxerxes asks him, basically, why are you upset? Uh, the king did not want somebody sad in his presence. The king wanted somebody joyful in his presence. He didn't want bad news. And so uh, he dare not go into the king's gate. So he's outside of the king's gate. And it's not just the reaction of Mordecai, it's the reaction of all the Jewish people throughout the empire. We see there in verse number 3. Wherever this decree was heard, there was weeping, mourning, wailing, fasting in the streets. 
Um, if you could go to the next slide, please. We see, um, the, we ask ourselves, uh, why would Mordecai be weeping and wailing like this? Why is he so upset? He's upset because of this decree that's passed. And why was the decree passed? Because of his refusal to bow to Haman. In other words, Mordecai understands it's because of his actions, it's because of his decision to refuse to bow to Haman that uh, his people would soon be wiped out and killed and destroyed. And this realization comes to Mordecai that his decision uh, to do what he believed was right is going to bring destruction to others. I can't help imagine that he's in this state because of this understanding that uh, he's responsible for uh, what's going to happen to his people. Now, we read the story. Hopefully you've read the rest of Esther. Hopefully you know what happens. We know that God delivers Mordecai. God delivers the Jewish people uh, through Esther. We know what happens, but Mordecai doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, and so we might read this and we might be tempted to think, Mordecai, you're overreacting. Um, you are being too emotional. You just need to have more faith in this situation in God. You shouldn't be crying. God's going to take care of it. He's going to handle it. But Mordecai doesn't know the rest of the story like we do. If you could go to the next slide, please. Um, we never see God condemning his emotional response to this trial. There's no condemnation for Mordecai crying in the streets instead of having faith in God. It's not like Mordecai woke up that morning, opened up his door and said, wow, I believe in God's providence. Everything's going to be okay. And, I, and this situation is going to be taken care of and I have nothing to worry about. No, he comes out of his house and he rents his clothes, puts on sackcloth and ashes and cries in the streets. If you could go to the next slide, please. Uh, he's having a very emotional reaction, and I don't think that's wrong. George Lawson, he's an old commentator from the early 1800s, he said this about this passage. The faith of God's people does not interfere with the exercise of emotion suited to mournful dispensations of providence. What does that mean? We understand and we believe and we have faith that God is in control of all things. As we've been working through Esther, we've seen that God is providential. God meets our needs. He takes care of us. And we understand that. And we have faith in God that He's in control and we can trust in Him when we're weak. Um, if you could go to the next slide, please. It's, it's perfectly acceptable, though, for the Christian who has faith in God's providence to exercise their emotions in a difficult time. Our emotions are our gift from God. They're something He's given to us. There are those who might be stuffy and arrogant who say um, that you just need to have more faith in God in your trial. You shouldn't be crying. You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be fearful. You just need to trust God. Get over it. That's not what we see from, from the example of Mordecai. No, God allows him to have this uh, reaction to this situation. It's okay for the widow who's lost their spouse to grieve in that situation. It doesn't mean they've lost faith in God. They're experiencing something difficult in their life. It's okay for the parent who has a wayward child to uh, be frustrated and, and to grieve that situation. They still have faith in God, but there's still that emotional aspect to it. It's okay for uh, the parent who's lost their child unexpectedly to grieve in that situation. We shouldn't, it's the Pharisee who would look down on that person going through that difficult time and say, you just need to have more faith in God. Why are you crying? Why, why don't you trust God? No, it's possible for the believer to mourn and have faith in God at the same time. 
and we need to, to realize that. Um, when we do, when we decide to do what we believe is right in our conscience and before God, we can't determine the reaction to other people to that. When Mordecai took the stand that he was not going to bow down to Haman, he was not responsible for Haman's reaction to that and the decision that Haman made. He did what he thought and believed was right. And there are going to be times in your life and my life when we decide to stand up for what we believe is right and somebody's going to react negatively to that. Somebody's going to, uh, is not going to like that. We, we're not responsible for how they react to, to that. Um, and so when the reaction of others brings us frustration, confusion, mourning, it's okay to have those emotions. Faith and emotions can exist together uh, for the glory of God. If we can go to the next sl slide, please. We saw Esther, or Mordecai's reaction. Number two, I want us to see Esther's isolation. Esther's isolation in Esther chapter 4, verse number 4. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him but he received it not. So word makes it to Esther that Mordecai, her cousin, is out in the streets. He's in sackcloth and ashes before the king's gate, and he's crying, and she decides to do something about it. And we see in her initial response, though, she's kind of clueless as to what's going on, what's truly happening. Um, this grieved her. She didn't want to see her cousin mourning and laying in the street crying. She didn't want to see this, so she decides to do something about it. She sends him clothes. She sends him some new clothes to hopefully cheer him up. Uh, that's not really what he needs, though, in this moment. That's not what he needs in this time. It's not new garments. That's why he refuses it. He doesn't need a new wardrobe. He needs help from Esther, the queen. And so we see her cluelessness and her initial response. She, she's not aware of what's going on. She, hasn't, she doesn't understand the whole story. She's been isolated in the palace. Uh, most likely, she hasn't been able to leave the palace um, she hasn't seen the king in about a month, as you'll see in verse 11. And so she's isolated away. Let's look at verses 5 through 7, if you would. Then called Esther for Hatach, one of the king's chamberlains, who he had, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatach went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. We see that Esther, she, she has no clue about this edict. Um, there's no reason for those in the palace to know about it, because as far as Ahasuerus knows, there's no Jewish people in his palace. Uh, of course, Esther is, though, she, but she hasn't revealed her identity as a Jew yet. Uh, and so... Mordecai, he refuses the clothes that she sends, and she sends out her servant, Hatach, to see what's going on. She realizes her ignorance of this situation. She sees he hasn't accepted this gift, and she's concerned. She wants to get to the bottom of this situation. She understands that she doesn't know what's going on. And so Mordecai tells Hatach about everything. No doubt he tells Hatach that it's really his fault. He refused to bow to Haman. Then look at verse 8, if you would. And he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make request before him for her people. If you could go to the next slide, please. 
um, Esther's isolation resulted in her not being aware of the problems facing her people. And as believers, when we isolate ourselves from this world and from the things going on in this world, we're unable to do anything for the cause of Christ in this world. I think about groups like the Amish. Um, you know, there's some novelty there, but there's no impact on the world there. They're isolated from the world. There's no change that's happening from uh, their faith. There's no impact there. As, as Christians, we're not called to isolate ourselves from the world. Christ has placed us in the world to be a light for the, the, uh, to the world for Christ. Uh, if you could go to the, the next slide, please. Alistair Begg said this. Uh, he's a pastor in Ohio. One of the reasons that Christians cannot interact in society is because we're talking to ourselves and we're reading our own stuff. Often we don't engage with the world. We isolate from the world. We tend to think we're better than the world and we just need to stay away from them. No, we're called to be a, a, a light to the world. Are you isolating from the world? Or are you letting your light shine for Christ in this world? Uh, the world will never know how much you care about uh, God until they know how much they care uh, until they know how much you care about them. Um, it's, there, it's been said that we might be the only Bible that some ever read. But if you're not actively engaging this world, you will have no impact in this world. We know that we're not of this world as believers, but we're in this world, and we're called to be lights for Christ. Uh, we need to have an impact in this world for Christ. We need to be involved. We need to be aware of what's going on in this world. You need to be involved uh, and get to know your neighbors and your co-workers. And you need to get to know what's going on in their life and the needs that they have and the difficulties that they're going through. You need to be involved in their lives and ask, how can I pray for you? How can I meet your need? You need to understand the philosophies that are shaping um, the youth in this world so that you can give them the truth of God's word. You need to understand what's going on politically in our world so that uh, we can know how to vote in this world and um, stand up for what's right and stand against what's wrong. We should not be isolated from this world. Uh, we need to, again, be a light for Christ. Don't, don't find yourself like Esther being unaware of what's happening in this world. Um, we, we have the opportunity to win others for Christ, but that means we need to engage with them. I'm reminded of the song uh, that uh, says, how can we reach a world we never touch? How can we show them Christ if we never show them love? We can talk about how much we love God. We can talk about how much we want to share the gospel, but if we never actually go out into this world, outside of this church, and tell others what Christ did for them, about Christ's love for them, if we never try to reach them, or love them, or care for them, will have no impact in this world for Christ. So we see Esther's isolation. Number three, though, we see Esther's reaction. If you could go to the next slide, please. Esther's reaction. In verses 9 through 12, if you could look there. And Hatach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his, to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. If I could simplify her response, uh, she essentially says, 
Mordecai, you know I can't do that. You know I can't go into the, the king. If anybody enters into the king's presence without permission, they'll be put to death. They'll lose their head. And you know the law of the Medes and the Persians, Mordecai. You know that it doesn't change. You know that when a law is passed in Persia, it must be kept. And uh, I haven't seen the king in 30 days, and why would he see me now? In other words, and very simply, uh, Esther is afraid. If you could go to the next slide, please. Esther is afraid. She's faint-hearted. She knows and understands that this is a very fearful situation, and she fears for her life. She feels uh, maybe, perhaps she feels it would be safer for her to keep her mouth closed and continue to hide her identity. Sometimes it can be fearful doing what's right in a dangerous situation. We live in a very easy time in church history in America. Throughout church history, and I hope you study church history. I know pastors been going through church history. We are very privileged in the time that we live in to be able to worship God freely without the danger of being killed. I was teaching the teenagers this morning about how in the early Roman Empire, during the early church, many would be cast into the Colosseum or uh, burned at the stake for their faith in Christ. That's something we really don't have to fear in America. Now, we may in 20, 30 years. We don't know that. But right now, we don't. We have the freedom to worship God, and we ought to be thankful for that. But uh, we know that there are times in our life that uh, it can be fearful to serve the Lord. It can be fearful to speak up and speak out for Christ and confront our family, confront our friends with the gospel and their need to be saved. That can be a fearful thing uh, for us as believers. But in this moment, we see her fear and her timidity. And that's important to note. And so if you could go to the next slide, I want us to consider two main conclusions that I want to finish with. Um, first, if you go to the next one, please. God uses the faint-hearted. God uses the faint-hearted. Again, if you know the rest of the story, you know that God uses Esther. She goes into the king, um, and, God, and God uses her. But in this moment, she's afraid. She's timid, she's fearful, she's faint-hearted. Esther didn't respond immediately. Oh yes, I'll go into the king, I'll, I'll jeopardize my life. I know God's in control. I'm not afraid, I'll do it. No, that's not her response. She's, a, she's afraid, and it takes some convincing. And God does still use her despite her fear, and despite being faint-hearted. And I think if we're honest, none of us would jump at the excitement to be burned at the stake. None of us would jump for joy at the opportunity to die for Christ. Now, we might if we were put in that situation, but I don't think anyone would be excited and happy to do that or, or looking forward to that. It's not necessarily a joyful thing. It's a fearful thing to go through. God uses the faint-hearted. How often are we fearful to tell somebody about Christ? How often are we fearful even to pass out a tract and to tell somebody how they can be saved or invite someone to church? God doesn't immediately set us aside, though, and I'm thankful for that. How many times have we failed God? We know He wants us to tell somebody about Him, and we put it off. And we neglect that responsibility. But God still chooses to use us. And He's still patient with us. And He doesn't set us aside, and He doesn't give up on us. And we ought not to give up on God. And we ought to trust Him. When you're going through a hardship or a trial in your life and fear is mounting in your heart and you don't know how to continue to live for God, you don't know what He wants you to do, you don't know what the next step is in your life, you're afraid to make that decision that you know God wants you to make, you're afraid to step out in faith and trust God with your finances or your career or a relationship, 
it's a fearful thing, and it's okay to be faint-hearted, and it's okay to trust that God can still use you despite your fears. God will still use you. He, he can overcome our fears if we would trust in Him. So we see that God uses the faint-hearted. Number two, and finally, we see that our king who bids us come is nothing like Ahasuerus. Uh, Esther was fearful to go into the king because her head was on the chopping block if she did, and she wasn't invited. She could be killed if she was not invited to come into the presence of King Ahasuerus. But I'm reminded that Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven. He left uh, heaven, took on the form of a servant, and he came to us so that we could have salvation. He died on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And he now sits in heaven at the right hand of God. He is preparing a place for us in heaven. He's, he's ready to welcome us into heaven when we leave this earth. Um, we can go to God anytime we want to in prayer. There's no law written in heaven that says if we don't have permission from God, we'll lose our head for coming into His presence. No, we can go to God freely. In fact, God has come to us in the person of Christ. Christ has given us His Spirit who resides in our heart, and He's with us at all times. And so we have a God and a King who's much greater than King Ahasuerus. And that should bring us joy. We, we don't have to... Uh, sadly, many are stuck in, in religions where they believe they have to do certain things to hopefully eat, earn the ear of their God. I'm reminded about the servants of Baal on Mount Carmel in the face-off face against Elijah. And what did the servants of Baal do? They're up there crying and screaming and cutting themselves, hoping that Baal will hear their, their cries, and he never does. Um, we don't have to do that with God. Uh, God wants to hear us. In fact, he, he knows our thoughts before we even say them. In fact, God is praying for us uh, when we don't even realize it. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us on our behalf when we don't even know what to pray for. So why would we not pray to God? Why would we not come to Him when it's so freely given and, and the opportunity is, is always available? He never leaves us and forsakes us. There, there's no law that says we'll lose our head if we go to God without permission. We have permission through Christ. The permission was given when Christ gave his life on the cross. And the temple veil was torn from the top to bottom, showing that God came down to us. And he's, he's, he's opened up his, uh, his presence to us, and we can go to him at any time. Uh, there is no holiest of holies where we have to go to a priest his spirit resides in our heart, and we can go to him at any time, at any place, as much as we want to. Our king who bids us come to him is nothing like Ahasuerus. And when we're afraid in our life to serve the Lord, when we feel like emotion has overcome us, we have a king who wants to hear our prayers, and we can go to him uh, at any time. And he still wants to use us, and he's patient with us, even though we're not patient with ourselves oftentimes. So I'm thankful that we can go to God at any time in our life. If you could go to the last slide, please. We can go to God in prayer when we're fearful and afraid. When we're in great mourning like Mordecai, perhaps you're going through a trial in your life, a difficulty in your life, and you don't know what to do. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be faint-hearted and fearful. You can have those emotions. You can still have faith in your God. And he cares for us. He cares about those emotions. Jesus Christ wept himself. He grieved at the, the death of Lazarus. He grieved at the mourning of his friends. He understands the pain we go through. We don't have to put on a show with God. 
We might put on a show with others, but you can't do it with God, and, and so don't even try. Are you going through a hard time in your life right now, uh, and you don't know what to do? You can go to God and ask Him for help, and He will give you the help and the wisdom that you need in that situation. And so I hope this evening that this message encourages us that we can be real with God. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this reminder from the life of Esther and Mordecai, and uh, this trial and this uh, hard time that they were facing in their life. Um, and we see the very 